Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 3. In the centre of Dublin city, or as central as you can get, with a city that's split in two by the flowing and slightly polluted waters of the River Liffey, there's a street known as Dame Street. The street, or thoroughfare to give it its grand definition from the guidebooks, is a fairly standard street. On it are shops and fast food restaurants, pubs and bars, random stores selling overpriced Irish-themed products to passing tourists, and the odd office building. Nothing out of the ordinary at all. The street is also home to many of the banks in Ireland, and on it people can find the towering edifice that is the central bank. A building that certainly catches the eye of passers-by but one which is not entirely loved. This is due largely to the fact that the headquarters of Ireland's banking folk is considerably taller than any surrounding buildings, having been constructed in the 1970s to such a height that it broke planning regulations at the time. Regulations that were adjusted soon after construction had been completed, showing that there really is no problem money cannot solve. You just need to have enough money to solve the problems. A large collection of brown envelopes does not go astray either. In front of the central bank stands a large golden sphere, typically classed as modern art, which for years served as a meeting point for the inhabitants of Dublin City. Long before the digital age had kicked into full swing, allowing people to walk around with entire libraries on a device the size of a tape cassette, meeting points had to be pre-planned, phone calls made, notes passed in class word of mouth spread. The end result being that people would use the sphere as a central and obvious meeting spot. Shelley stood underneath the sphere and stared up at it. As an artist herself, Shelley found the work intriguing. While clearly a sphere in shape, there were large holes in the piece, each section appearing to be a swirling feather, although some argued the shapes were more like a leaf. Her grandfather, who had long ago shuffled off to a heavenly spot, had never liked the sphere. He preferred art that was painted onto a canvas or chiselled from marble and typically looked like something sensible. Modern art had never appealed to him. Her grandfather had also, on more than one occasion, remarked how displaying a golden sphere in front of a tower filled with bankers was basically the rich men in suits showing just how ballsy the occupants were. The pun had only been slightly intended. Shelley had walked through Dame Street more times than she actually remembered. It was just another street to her. Since gaining the ability to see the fairy world, she had checked nearly every street in the city, just to see what they really looked like with the magical elements in full view. Dame Street had nothing. From time to time, groups of leprechauns could be seen walking from bank to bank. But that was not really out of the ordinary. At least, not when you considered leprechauns walking around ordinary. Other people may have viewed it differently. The fairy detective had explained that the leprechauns were a lot more involved in human banking than people actually knew. Seeing them on Dame Street was just another normal day in the magical world. At Filthy Henry's insistence, Drew and Shelley had agreed to meet at the Sphere in order to travel together to Carlingford. A suggestion that Shelley had at the time pointed out made no sense at all. Dame Street was known for a few things but transport around Ireland was definitely not one of them. Neither of the main train stations were located on it. In fact, no trains went anywhere near it, 
The bus terminal for long-haul trips was on the exact opposite side of the city to Dame Street. Yet he had insisted they do as instructed and meet him outside the building at ten the following morning. After the Marai had given all the information she could give, which Shelley had dutifully noted down in her pad, everyone had left and returned to their respective homes. Just before she had walked out the door, Shelley had reminded Filthy Henry that this case was going to be a pro bono one. His look of shocked annoyance had put a smile on her face the entire walk home. Shelley had gone back to her apartment, packed her bag and got an early night. As she walked through the rush hour crowds that morning, Shelley could not help but wonder about a magical coin that Filthy Henry had been given on their last big case. A coin that allowed for instantaneous teleportation around Ireland, at no magical cost to the ferry detective. That sort of transportation method would have been ideal in a situation like this. If only the gods who had given him the coin in the first place had seen fit to give him another one after the case had been closed. But then the gods knew exactly how Filthy Henry's mind worked. If they'd left him with such a powerful object, it would only have ended in endless pranks and the fairy detective annoying anybody he desired. She looked around and tried to figure out why they had to meet at this spot. While scanning the area with her fairy vision, Shelley caught sight of Drew the Druid walking towards her. He had ditched his ridiculous druid robes in favour of more normal clothing. Black trainers, blue jeans and a grey zip-up hoodie. As he saw Shelley, Drew waved and gave her a sad smile. Oh, sort of missed the robes, he said, coming to stand beside her. Well, you wouldn't look inconspicuous wearing a big wizard outfit now, would you? Besides, you've still got the grey hood on, even if it isn't actually part of your robe. Drew shrugged. True, but I generally never leave my shop either, so the robe makes more sense in those surroundings. Plus, when you're wearing a robe, it's so freeing being able not to bother with things like underwear. Shelley gasped and frantically stuck her hands over her ears, trying to protect herself from something she clearly didn't want to hear. Filthy Henry came around the corner of the central bank, a cup of coffee in one hand and a small brown battered suitcase in the other. He smiled as Shelley took her fingers out of her ears. Guess this oddball was telling you he goes commando under his robe, he said, gesturing at Drew with the coffee cup. How he's remained single all these years is a mystery even I can't solve. You knew? Shelley asked. I know everything. Now get your bags. We have a short trip ahead of us. That makes no sense. Also, where's my coffee? Shelley said. Filthy Henry took another sip from his drink and shrugged. Didn't have enough money on me, he replied. Shelley knew that this was an outright lie from the fairy detective, as he rarely paid for anything at all. Filthy Henry had a habit of conjuring money out of thin air, handing it over to the unsuspecting cashiers, then walking away with his purchase. Content in the knowledge that the money would disappear later as the spell expired. So his lack of a beverage for the one person that bothered to put up with his crap on a daily basis, had nothing to do with funds and everything to do with plain bad manners. Shelley said nothing and wondered if the fairy detective was ever likely to change. Okay, the gang's all here, even if certain members don't want to be. Let's get moving. So, uh, how are we actually getting there? Are you planning on paying for our transportation? Some sort of Celtic Investigations petty cash situation going on? There's no such thing as petty cash, Filthy Henry said. 
I went onto this crazy thing called the internet last night to figure out the best way to get to Carlingford. And it turns out there is no bus service straight from Dublin. We need to get a bus to Dundalk first and then one from Dundalk to Carlingford itself. So I said, screw that. I despise taking the bus as it is. So why the hell would I sign up for multiple long-haul bus trips? We're taking a little shortcut instead. Follow me. With that, the ferry detective turned on his heel and started to walk down the street towards College Green. Shelley and Drew fell in step behind him and followed Filthy Henry as he weaved through the crowd. After only a minute of walking, he stopped at a pedestrian crossing and turned to face the building beside it. Shelley checked around with her fairy vision for anything magical, but nothing jumped out at her. Everything in the immediate area was normal and human, non-magical in every way imaginable. Is he always like this? Drew asked Shelley. I mean, all my dealings with him have involved magical object sales, potion ingredients and petty theft. I've never actually worked on a case with him. Yeah, this is generally how he does things. All mystery and never explaining why we're standing in the middle of the pavement, with no idea what's going on. The next thing you know a swan turns into a person and you're expected to just roll with the punches. Henry, what's actually going on? Filthy Henry nodded towards the building directly in front of him. There, that's what's going on. Shelley looked at the building. It was probably the smallest building she'd ever seen, being no more than eight feet wide and standing in between two larger, more grown-up structures. Almost as if somebody had come along and converted an alleyway into a super skinny red brick building. There were no windows in the slim building from the street level up to the roof. The only interesting feature was a wooden oak door set into a stone door frame. It was the kind of door that had a number of rectangular panels in it, with intricate designs carved around the edges of each. As people walked past, nobody gave the little building a second look, much as Shelley had done throughout her entire life. There were a number of these odd little structures dotted around the city, even one on Coppinger Row near her own apartment. But nobody ever bothered with them. It was just assumed that the council or some other government body had built them as a sort of service tunnel entrance for buildings in the area. It's a service access point, Shelley said. So what? Filthy Henry smiled his annoying smile and stepped up to the door. He knocked, tapping the top right panel first, then the bottom left, then the bottom right, and finally the top left. From the other side of the door, the sound of locks being turned and bolts sliding back could be heard. The door opened slowly to reveal absolutely nothing on the other side. It was completely black beyond the threshold. The fairy detective reached into the inside pocket of his brown trench coat and pulled something out that Shelley couldn't see. Speak your destination, a voice from the blackness said. Carlingford, County Loud, Tollgate, Filthy Henry replied, tossing whatever he held in his hand through the open doorway. Payment accepted, the unseen speaker said after a couple of seconds of silence. Without warning, the door slammed closed, startling an old woman walking by. What was that all about? Drew asked, pointing at the door. The door opens, you throw something in, say where we're headed, and then it closes again. So what? Shelley looked at Drew. You didn't hear the voice? she asked. The druid shook his bald head. He can't see the fairy world, Filthy Henry said. So he also can't hear when they speak from the magical side of the world, unless they actually reveal themselves, unlike you. Anyway, get your things and get over here. We're leaving. Both Drew and Shelley did as bluntly instructed and walked over to Filthy Henry. 
The furry detective gripped the doorknob firmly, twisted it, and opened the door to the tiny building once again. Only this time, instead of showing darkness like before, they were blinded by a sudden burst of bright light. As her eyes adjusted to the brightness, Shelley could see an old stonework wall inside the building, which made absolutely no sense. From the look of it, the wall wasn't actually part of the building they were standing in front of. There was also a cool breeze coming from inside the building, with a hint of sea air. What is going on? she said. Ah, for the love of Dagda! He stepped behind Shelley and Drew, then not so gently pushed them through the doorway. Shelley felt a slight tingle as she crossed the threshold, stepping off Dame Street's concrete pavement and onto a cobblestone street on the other side. She turned around and watched the fairy detective step through the doorway. The doorway which was built into an ancient archway that Dame Street most definitely did not have. A bus drove past on the Dublin street as Filthy Henry fully stepped onto the cobbles. Then with a slight blur like a heating mirage, the doorway vanished and left behind more of the old stonework. It never ceases to amaze me that you keep getting amazed, Filthy Henry said to Shelley. Beside her, Drew looked around in bewilderment. Now, let's go. Maeve woke with a start, her body covered in a cold sweat. Her nightmare had been vivid, too vivid. She had heard all around her the screams of men dying in a variety of painful ways. Horses running with dead men in their saddles, grass covered in the blood of warriors, broken arrows, shattered shields, and destroyed weapons littering the battlefield. All the while in the centre of the carnage, he stood. The boy. Little more than a teenager, yet there he stood with his magical weapon, single-handedly defeating an entire army of seasoned warriors and ruining what was meant to be Maeve's greatest moment. Her chance to change the course of history and rule for eternity. Yet there was the demon child swatting Maeve's men aside like flies. Then came the child's lucky strike. The arrow which had been aimed directly at his head, shot by the best archer Ally's army had to offer. An arrow which the boy managed to deflect with such eerie precision that it reversed its flight right for the queen. She could still see the sun glisten off the tip of the arrow as it approached her face. Gods be damned, Maeve said, getting out of the bed and pulling on her jeans. On the wooden crate which served as a bedside table burned another of those disgusting candles. Rather than risk touching the hideous wax, Maeve had decided to let the flame burn throughout the night, in the hope that the candle would be gone when she woke. The candle seemed to be made from sterner stuff than the average wax and wick combination. What do you make these things from? Maeve shouted down the hallway to the crone. Earwax, Lauren shouted back. Now come and eat. We need to discuss your next move. Time's not going to be on your side. I have to explain some things to you. Maeve, shuddering at the new candle knowledge, left the bedroom and made her way through the hovel back to the crone's bubbling cauldron. She ignored the sounds of things moving in the shadows around her. Despite being known as a fierce and brave warrior queen, there was something about unseen creatures that made her uncomfortable. A perfectly normal response to have, she felt. Lauren had pulled over one of her rickety chairs and was stirring the contents of the cauldron. At the sight of Maeve, she ladled some great goop into a bowl and handed it to the queen. Thank you, Maeve said, taking the bowl and going to sit at the table. She picked up a wooden spoon from the windowsill and prodded the contents of the bowl. 
Is this what you were cooking last night? The crone cackled. Don't worry, it won't kill you. A bubble formed in the goop, grew slightly in size, then popped. Some of the grey stuff splattered the table. Maeve decided to skip breakfast. She turned on her chair so that she could see the crone. I need my army, she said. No, you don't. An army in this day and age is the one thing you don't need. This isn't the same country you came from. There are no kings and queens here. No army standing around protecting things. I'm not even sure if the person guarding the brown bull is aware of what they have. But the old magic is still in effect. You can't just go and take the bull. You'll need to get permission. You are currently in Ondara Chancer. And that just means you get to try again. Not to do whatever you want. Are you serious? Well, that didn't work out so well the last time. In fact, that's the exact reason I'm here now. The crone shrugged. I don't make the rules. I'm just here to tell you about them. I had a visit from a powerful fairy last night, the Marai, and she said that the magic which brought you forward in time brought the event, the Nacht Drekta, along as well. We're bound by the same conditions as before. If we don't stick to them, then the Marai will ensure the other side wins. You cannot directly approach the brown bull first on your own, just as before. However, this can be worked to our advantage. How exactly? the queen said. This time we know the sequence of events, meaning we can just work to a shorter time frame and focus on getting the bull before some hero shows up and issues the challenge of single combat. Maeve stared at the flames of the fire as they licked the underside of the cauldron. I'm going to need my men, she said, or at least two of them, the two that I trusted originally to get the bull. Before they had the stupidity to open their mouths and cause all of Ulster to get ready for a fight. Lauren stopped stirring and looked at the Queen. You can't bring things back from the dead. It isn't possible. Only the leprechauns have such power. And you won't get them to help you under any circumstances. Especially when it would mean such a violation of the rules. However... Yes? The crone rose from her seat and started to shuffle over to a stack of books near the front door. With a swift kick that belied her age, she knocked over the books, then bent down and picked one up. Flicking through the battered and yellowed pages, she shuffled back to the table and dropped the book down beside Maeve's bowl of grey goop. We can't get people back from the dead, but we might be able to make their spirits take over something already living. It's the next best thing. Think of it like upgrading your phone. Maeve nodded along as the crone spoke, then looked directly at her. What's a phone? Nothing causes the headache of a hangover to hurt more than hitting one's head off the glass bottles, whose contents contributed to the hangover. It is a hurtful irony that no suffering drunk should ever have to discover. This sobering and painful truth is compounded all the more when a sudden drop is introduced to the equation, which was how Cahal Cullen awoke after a night of heavy drinking. In his slumber he rolled over and off the couch, falling straight to the floor and crashing into the empty beer bottles. As seemingly every part of his skull exploded with mind-splitting pain, Cahill let out a howl of agony and curled up into the fetal position. Whoever had decided to allow beer to be sold in quantities that no man could safely consume on his own, at a price cheaper than a proper meal, had a lot to answer for. 
Answers that, in Cahill's personal opinion, should include how to get rid of a hangover fast. After a few seconds the blinding pain subsided, but only enough so that thoughts about movement hurt a little less. Cahill pushed himself up from the floor and looked around the room. Thankfully, all the booze had been drunk the night before. Otherwise he would have resorted to the age-old hair-of-the-dog solution to self-inflicted discomfort. The house itself was empty and silent, which Cahill was quietly thankful for. Clearly his mother had decided that today was not going to be a day when she visited her eldest child and verbally berated him again for how his life had turned out. Even better than the absence of a scolding mother was the fact that on the kitchen table he spied a full shopping bag. A bag which Cahill had no recollection of bringing into the house. Sitting at the very top, nestled among the bread, butter and eggs, was a packet of the strongest over-the-counter headache tablets a person could buy. The sort generally reserved for those unfortunate souls who suffered from migraines but couldn't convince a doctor to prescribe something decent. Cahill had read up on migraines once, after the girl and the chemist had explained to him what exactly the tablets he was buying were meant to be taken for. Migraines sounded like all the bad parts of drinking, namely the hangover and vomiting, without the actual fun of drinking. A cruel and twisted god had to have come up with them, that was for sure. With more effort than it should have taken, Cahill stumbled over the table and dropped down onto one of the wooden chairs. He pulled the shopping bag towards himself, wincing at the minute sounds the produce made while moving in the plastic, and picked up the packet of tablets. The packet that felt oddly empty. As Cahill worked his fingers to open the packet, which at the moment seemed to be the most intricate puzzle box known to man, he felt a slight sense of panic building. An empty packet meant no tablets. No tablets meant leaving the house in search of tablets. Leaving the house meant being out in daylight with a hangover so bad that light physically hurt the eyeballs. Finally, after a few fumbles, Cahill opened the packet and found his fears to be real. There were no tablets inside. He crushed the empty box in his hand, the act sparking a memory of the night before. One in which Cahill, while still obliterated drunk, had decided, with the infinite wisdom of a non-sober person, to get a step ahead of the impending hangover and take his medicine while still drinking in the bar, an act which the barman had decided was not going to be allowed, resulting in the tablets being confiscated by the barman and placed on a high shelf with the promise of their return when Cahill left for home. That bloody barman, Cahill said. He got up from the table, staggered over to the sofa, picked up his coat and pulled it on. There was no way this hangover was going to clear off without some medicinal help. Of that he was sure. Cahill walked through the gloomy house and got to the front door, convincing himself that the trek into town would be good and the fresh air would help. As Cahill stepped outside, he realised that lying really did make people cry. More so when you lied to yourself, and the truth was dreadfully painful to deal with. Squinting his eyes so much that they were practically shut, Cahill Cullen pulled his coat closed, shut the front door, and started the painful walk into town. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it. <laughs>